Let's see, how do I want to get started tonight? Uh, welcome to SNL if you're here for the first time. My name is Pastor Derek, and uh, this is kind of like family nights, relax, um, but at the same time, it's a little bit more. Sometimes we go a little bit deeper in the Word, a little bit stronger, sometimes a little more no-holds-barred, less, less careful and cautious, a little more direct, and, uh, and then we kind of let, you know, the, the Holy Spirit move. Sometimes we, we just kind of pack it up early and go home, and, you know, God's God spoke to us, gave us a word, and that's it. Sometimes we pray and minister and, and, and just intercede and, and, and uh, pray for people to be healed or delivered or whatever. So it kind of varies on really whatever the Spirit's saying in this particular setting or service. So I know there's a Patriots game on in case anybody's wondering, so I'm aware of that. So praise the Lord. We should have... Oh, it's tomorrow. Oh, I thought it was tonight. I thought it was tonight at 8. No? Oh, did it move? Oh. Okay. Oh, praise the Lord. Then get, get ready, okay? Everybody buckle up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. If you're taking notes, this is, oh, this is called Open Doors, and uh, I've been brewing and stewing on this for a, a little while. Um, probably, Gretchen will probably remember, maybe a month and a half ago, I started getting this message, and actually two months ago, now that I think about it, because I was almost going to do it last SNL. Uh, and we just had a different plan for that particular day. If you had like a, a heading underneath open doors, it would be a foothold can become a stronghold. It's a phrase I use a lot. A foothold can become a stronghold, okay, a stronghold, like a, a base camp for good or a base camp for bad, a base camp for the enemy. Um, and so um, there's a couple of key texts that I'm going to pull from. Mainly one is John chapter 8 and the other one is Luke 13. So if you like looking in your Bibles, that's good, and I recommend that. This is a good Bible-thumping night. You should bring your Bibles to SNL in particular because uh, we'll look at a lot of Scripture sometimes. Um, you can just pray for me, help me do this. Cause just so you know, um, I definitely am a communicator by trade, but I have a hard time sometimes getting out of where I was and getting into where I am, if that makes sense. So I'm still in Sunday morning a little bit, so I'm, I just need you guys' prayers a little bit to kind of get in the groove and stuff like that. So this is a, it's, it's, it's just, I don't know if that makes sense, but it takes a little bit to kind of get into a different uh, message and a different flow. I get really into the messages and then, uh, but this I think is very complimentary and it's going to kind of sync up for, for some of us and for a lot of us and I pray that's going to happen for you. The short and skinny of this is that I believe there are a lot of spiritual roots to a lot of the problems that we face. It's not super emphatic or, or dramatic or profound what I just said, but I believe there are spiritual roots to a lot of our problems. I don't believe there's a demon under every rock, so I don't want anybody to get all like, you know, thinking I'm going kooky on you or anything like that. Um, but a lot of the problems sometimes we need... Uh, to, to deal with need to be addressed on a spiritual level. So a lot of the problems that we're dealing with in the natural need to be addressed on a spiritual level, okay? Is everybody tracking so far with what I'm saying out there? So um, our ministry uh, in the early years, uh, this particular church, had a very strong emphasis on um, what's called or what's known as, there's different terms for this, deliverance. Uh, sometimes, you know, maybe a more modern term would be uh, soul therapy. It's kind of a better way to, to say it because people don't want to say that, um, you know, that there are demons in the first place. People don't want to say there are demonic forces at work or that Christians can be oppressed or attacked by the devil. But the Bible talks about it a lot. Um, and it tells us to demolish those 
arguments or pretenses or those different things that the enemy throws us. It tells us that we wage war not as the world wages, but we, that our fight is not carnal, but it's mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, it tells us. In Galatians, you know, the Bible tells us to put on the full armor of God. That armor is not speaking of an outward or physical armor. It's talking about a spiritual armor, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the, you know, the belt of truth, our feet shot with preparation, the gospel of peace, you know, the breastplate of right. Is everybody tracking with me? So those are all spiritual. By the way, the enemy will try to get you not to hear what I'm saying, so you need to really... Really fight. Is it really not loud enough? Okay. So just give me a little more juice because I'm going to hold it down here because I don't like to hold it up here because I get tired because I have big muscles and it exhausts me. <laughs> I'm being honest. No, I'm just kidding. So I'm going to hold it down here. Okay. So um, it's important to, uh, to stay alert and stay, and stay awake because you could miss something really, really important to help you along the way. I just know how the enemy works. He'll, he'll work overtime on a night like tonight because I'm going to be talking about him. Is anybody tracking with what I'm saying out there? Okay. So... Christians have a hard time with the whole idea of demons and stuff like that, and uh, in particular, demon possession. Even the term demon possession is sometimes misunderstood in Scripture. The Greek word for uh, demon possession is demonai zomai, demonai zomai, and it actually does not mean ownership. It's referring more to the gaining of mastery of or control of or influence on someone. So the demonics, the, the, the demons, fallen angels, familiar spirits, pursuit is, is, not, just, is not necessarily to possess a, a believer because it can't, because the spirit of God's in you, but to oppress, control, influence, and master you. Everybody tracking so far with what I'm saying? Maybe you don't believe that's okay, but I'm just going to spit it out because, again, this is what we do here. So it, 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 let me put flesh on this. So if a Christian drinks... <clears throat> let's say excessively, like we talked about this morning, be not drunk, that's the sin, not drinking. Drinking is not the sin. Being drunk is the sin. Wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Conversely, if you were drinking too much, you can be filled with spirits. And so that opens you up to the attack of the enemy, drinking too much, right? So when you do that, or maybe a drug, you bring certain substances into his temple. This is... This is we call this the temple of church, but now, in the New Testament sense, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We hold and host the Spirit of God. And so when we, when we open ourselves, when we take those substances, whether it be excessive amounts of, al- excessive amounts of alcohol or drugs, uh, we are putting ourselves potentially under the influence of the demonic through those substances. And, and, and as a result, he, not God, but he, the enemy, can... can um, can, you know, do, can administer certain, um, you know, pain to our lives. In other words, when you, when you drink too much, you can find yourself doing some shameful things that you, you, you rather, you rather not, uh, you're not, you're not very proud of. Anybody know what I'm talking about up there? If you haven't been in that situation, you know somebody who's been in that situation. If you've, you know, taken a certain substance and you can put, like I said, you could have, you could find yourself, you know, with a lampshade over your head and in a foreign environment and with a person you don't know and, you know, and all those kind of things can happen. Um, but it's more than just what's happened in the natural. You've actually opened yourself up to something in the spiritual. You've, you've opened a door into this vessel, this temple of the Holy Spirit. You've opened windows and you should really look at this literally like a house with multiple windows windows on it and doors in it and you've basically given someone else access to your home with 
without permission, really. You've given them permission, but if you were paying attention, you would have never let them in there in the first place. Does that make sense? It's like you, it's as if you drove away from your house and you put the keys and you hung them on the front door and you said, take this and go inside at your pleasure and at your leisure. But anybody could have done that because where you advertised that by opening yourself up to, to certain substances or certain, you know, like I said, drugs or alcohol or, or the sort. Uh, for, exa- <clears throat> for example, if a man, can somebody get me a little water? Um, if a man looks at uh, pornography, for example, this is a very relevant uh, example, especially today with the, the porn industry being at an all-time high. Got some, whoever went back there, thank you, Pam. Um, <clears throat> can you wait a second? Thank you. I've been talking a lot today. You talk too much. Um, if a man looks at uh, pornographic material, what I'm saying to you is <clears throat> that's an open door into your life. Whatever is on the other side of that, which we very rarely have any clue of the consequences or ramifications of that, we're opening ourselves up to. Um, let me give you a, I don't know if this will make sense, it's just coming, but a parallel. I remember we used to have, we had visiting speakers come in. One particular visitor came into our church and he had a healing ministry. And so, by the way, I think we all can have a healing ministry because of the power of the name of Jesus. It's not just for certain people or special people. But let's just say that he was very aware of his gift and used it a lot, and so it got stronger. So he came in, and one of the things he said is, I don't want um, um, anybody to just let our people, our leaders, lay hands on people. Nobody else do that. Because he, he would say this, he said, because I don't know where your hands have been. And so what he's saying is, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know where you're at emotionally. I don't know where you're at in your maturity. There are things in you or on you that could be transferred to somebody else by the laying on of hands, and we don't need any of that right now. Even sometimes Jesus would separate himself from the crowd when he was going to pray for Jesus, the Son of God would separate him sometimes from the crowd and just go with the core into an environment to pray for people because those things can influence the environment. Does that make sense? Or the situation or the circumstances and the outcomes. So if a man looks at pornography, he becomes an open door. Again, like drinking or taking an illegal substance, and that places him or her, because pornography is not exclusive to males, uh, under the influence, let's just say, of the enemy at some level. If not dealt with, it can progressively move from a foothold to a stronghold. So the enemy loves it when we open doors like that, whatever the thing is, because now he can get just a foot in your house. Like it's like getting a crack in the front door of your house, starting to, and you're kind of trying to shut and deadbolt that, but you can't because you've allowed a foot in there. And if he can get a foothold, but just like physically an enemy, a prowler, a robber, a thief can get access, eventually he'll just try to get in there all the way. Does that make sense? And kind of create a beachhead kind of a, a, a stance where he can do the most damage. And it doesn't mean when that happens, just to be clear, that the devil now owns you or owns the home. It just means that he's gained control. Control is systematically being gained. So when Christians sometimes have a hard time with the demonic, I'm just saying, can a Christian be uh, uh, under the influence of the demonic? I'm saying yes. I'm saying that clearly, yes, it can. But can a possession? I'm saying no. It's not possession like as in ownership. It's, it's, it's oppression as in control or influence or the systematic attempt to gain mastery of your life. Make sense? And if you, if, in other words, if you left your door or your window open at your house while you were here at church, and then you went home later, and, and there was a thief, there was a robber in your home. Do they, do, they, uh, do they own your home? 
No, they're just in your home. They're just in your home. Is everybody getting the picture of what I'm trying to say here? Okay, so that's, that's what the enemy is trying to do in our lives many, many times. And a lot of times, again, with the problems and situations that we're facing on the outside, a lot of times there's a spiritual route, there's an open door, there has been some point of access. So in my family, a lot of times, when we're coming under some kind of attack, in particular, if there's a, this is a big word, but a chronicity to it, a chronic pattern. Something has been going on on and on and on. This is what I do in ministry a lot of times. I look for open doors. What is the open door? Why is this going persisting? Why is this person not free? You know, my daughter, was, one of my daughters was battling a physical problem. It's been going on a long, long time. What is the open door? That's, I'm trying to basically equip you to look at things differently because sometimes there's a tendency to, to minimize or marginalize what God is trying to show us and reveal to us. Sometimes we're, we're frustrated with God. Sometimes we're turning to something else other than God because we're not, we're not discerning what God is trying to say to us sometimes through our circumstances. Does that make sense? When something's going wrong sometimes, I don't know if this will come through right, I don't assume it's on God's end. I always assume it's on my end. I must be missing something because he's a good God. He wants me to be healthy. He wants me to be whole. He wants emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, etc. So if there's some continuous chronic pattern, problem, whatever, I just, people say, I just, I just can't hold a job. I just can't hold a job. There's some kind of open door there. Maybe you have an authority issue and a rebellion, for example. There's a, there's a, there's a spirit rebellion, the Bible says, is as the sin of witchcraft. That's, that's, a, that's a spiritual problem. It's an occultic spirit. So you might be having one problem holding a job, one problem staying in a leadership position over another because there's an open door that came back in the past. And fundamentally, though, it's a spiritual problem and it's a spirit of rebellion. Just an example of something that can happen. Again, it doesn't mean the devil owns you, but it might mean he's in you at the time. He's trying to, to master you. And if you leave that door or window open... It's going to continue to get worse. So I want to talk to you about whether believers can be in bondage or not. And many believers never get free because they don't believe they can be in bondage in the first place. But scripture says otherwise. So fundamentally, can a Christian be under the influence of a demon? My answer is yes, and I'm going to try to show that to you. So here's the three open doors. Is everybody getting something out of this so far? Okay, the first open door is what I call continued iniquity. Continued iniquity. Iniquity, uh, verse, I've talked about this before, but iniquity is different than sin. Sin's kind of more a one-time thing. Iniquity is an ongoing pattern of the particular sin. This continued iniquity opens the door for the demonic. In John chapter 8, I encourage you to look there with me. This is one of the best scriptures to describe uh, the whole idea of a believer being able to be in bondage. John chapter 8, one of the most familiar, kind of semi-famous passages of Scripture is John chapter 8, verse 32. But you can't talk about that really uh, um, responsibly without putting in context, context and using uh, verse 31. Um, verse 31 basically describes clearly that Jesus is talking to believers so when you see this entire text, know that he's talking to believers. John 8.31 says, To the Jews, 
uh, who had believed in him. What's that sound like? Does that sound like a believer or a non-believer? Sounds like a believer, right? So to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, so he's talking clearly to believers. He's saying that if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teachings, then you're my disciples. And then he goes on. And this is, again, one of the best illustrations of being in bondage. But the people who he's talking to were completely blind to the fact that they were actually in bondage at the time. And what he, uh, what he says to them was shocking to them, but it's really shocking that they didn't see what, what he was saying. So l- let, me, let me unpack this. So verse 32, it says, you know, then you know the truth, the truth will set you free. free. Verse 33, then they answered him, um, Jesus, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we shall be set free? This is really one of the funniest scriptures in the Bible, actually. These people are saying we're not in bondage and we have never been in bondage. Now, have any of you ever read the Old Testament with regards to Abraham's offspring at all? Okay, they were in bondage to everyone. They were in bondage to the Chaldeans, the Syrians, the Grecians, the, you know, the Egyptians. And at this very moment, they were in bondage to the Romans. Now, is that a blind spot or what? Okay, it's a significant blind spot. Self-deception is the worst deception. People say things similar to this in a modern sense, though. They're saying, we're not in bondage. We're Abraham. We're, 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 we're God's children. We're not in bondage. We can't. God's people can't be in bondage. What? You've been in bondage off and on your entire existence. So, but we say stuff like that as Christians sometimes, that people say things like, we're Christians, we can't be in bondage. And I've heard that my entire Christian experience. Maybe you haven't because you've been under good teaching here at Connect, but believers can be in bondage. They struggle with freedom. And that's why the church doesn't go forward. That's why people don't see uh, that it works because they actually don't get free. One of the things that we want to get better and better at at Connect, and, and this is something that's a passion for us. Our vision, for example, is fundamentally this. is to pe- see people saved, to pe- see people delivered, redeemed, and fulfilled. We do four things to make that possible. So our weekend worship experience is where we help people get saved. Our small groups is where we help people get delivered, really free. And then we help through... Through our dream team is where people are redeemed, where we help our growth track, excuse me, is where we help people find their purpose and figure out what they were created to do. And then it's through the dream team that they actually get fulfilled. They can actually make a difference. Just today, I was just talking to a guy, Dave Farmer. The guy's on fire. Is Dave in here? He's probably with his family. He told me how to spend some time with his family. He says, all I want to do is go to church all that time. But pastor, I probably should spend some time with my family. I said, yeah, you should. But he's just on fire because he says, I'm making a difference. I can feel it. It's such a big change. But, but he, people, we're all called to go through this process. Now, this process of being delivered is actually an ongoing process. We don't just go from point A to point B and never, and just it's all done. We're perfect. It's all, no, we're always working this whole thing through of being free, being whole, being fully mature, being sanctified, being made in the righteousness of Christ. It's a process. It's a journey. I'm getting more and more free as I go forward as a believer, and so are you. So that's, that's kind of the, the goal. But, but Christians can't get free if they don't know they need to get free. If they don't believe that they can actually be in bondage. And it manifests in different ways. It manifests in things like pride and fear and lust and anger and jealousy and unforgiveness. These are all footholds that can become strongholds in our life, and they hold us back. 
And sometimes, you know when somebody has a problem, they can't see it, but everybody else can see it? You know what I'm talking about? I think that's, that's what happens sometimes with people who are struggling with bondages. We think we're hiding it. We think nobody knows. No, everybody knows. We don't know maybe exactly, but we see. So we might as well deal with it. We might as well get real. That's why I'm so intent on trying to find the line between, and I probably pushed it this morning and probably push it again in the coming weeks, but trying to find the line between, you know, discretion and, and, you know, um, transparency and indiscretion. That's what I was trying to say. There's a fine line there. But we need to be real because if we're not real, we're never going to actually move forward. We're actually not going to get free. And then we don't have congruent Christianity. We have fake, feigned, pretense, you know, just veneer Christianity. And nobody lives in victory when there's a veneer, you know, about our Christianity. Does that make sense? So it's really important that we get some of these things out. But Jesus decides here in verse 34 to make it clear that these guys are in bondage. And he says, he says this, um, Jesus, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Pay attention to that. Now, a slave has, a, has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be, what, free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for any word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. So he goes on. I won't get to all the rest of what he says, but he says, Most assuredly, I say to you that whoever commits sin, commits is the key word there, is a slave, or you could say in bondage, to sin. Slavery refers, slavery refers to bondage, right? Isn't that accurate? So whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. In other words, he, gets, he basically is saying, I'm getting you all on this one statement. We're all, we're all at some point slaves because we all commit sin at different times in our life. So we can't say, oh, that doesn't apply to me. No, he's saying... You all, all you Abraham's descendants have this problem. All y'all, as my wife would say, right? And a slave, he says, doesn't abide in a house forever, but a son does. If a son makes you free, you're free indeed. So we see in context, he's not talking about salvation here, by the way. He's saying as believers, we can choose to walk in sonship or choose to walk in slaveship. Sons or slaves, we can choose that. He's saying, don't do that. Don't walk in slavery. Walk in freedom. Don't go backwards where you once were. Go forward with what I've given to you. This word commits, write this in your notes. Commit, commit, defined. Okay, it's important that you see what this word is talking about, the original language here. When you think about the word commit, think about the word committed to really understand this. Committed. I'm committed. I'm committed to this. I'm committed to that. He was committed. Um, it, it means, it mean, the actual word means to formulate a plan. Committed means to formulate a plan. We've all been there, haven't we? Where we formulate a plan to sin. That's what this verse is saying. It's not talking about a one-time sin. It's actually talking about a continuous sin, iniquity, but it's also talking about a premeditated um, a plan to sin. Now, we're all, all going to, Jesus already got us all on this one because we're all, he said, he said basically he said everybody is, is subject to this. But this whole idea of committing sin, this pre, we've all, we can't be pious and say that's not me. I've never done it. We've all done it. We've all tried to hide something. We've all tried to keep something from somebody else, from our spouse, from our boss, from our friend or whatever. Uh, there's, there's always at some point in our life, we know what, what this is like. We've been there at one point or another. This word committed 
Think of it in order to understand the tense here. It means whoever is committed to continued ongoing sin will remain a slave. That's what it's saying here. Whoever is committed to continued ongoing sin will remain a slave. That's when I say like this first door is talking about continued iniquity. Have you ever done that? Have you ever formulated a plan? Do you know what I'm talking about out there? To hide something? You don't. You didn't confess your faults one to another. You confessed maybe to God so he'd forgive you, but you didn't take the next step and confess it to somebody else. You hid it. So you stayed bound. You stayed a slave to that particular thing. I've been guilty of that many, many times. Ask God to forgive me? Yes, he's faithful and just to forgive me. And 1 John 1, 9 tells me that. But James 5, 16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So if I want to be forgiven, I can tell God. But if I want to be healed, I have to tell somebody else. Make sense? And so a lot of people don't get free and the, the door of the enemy is not slammed shut on him because we're committing sin, ongoing, continued sin. In many cases, we're not planning on telling anybody, which is saying we're planning on continuing to do it. It's better than, than what you're saying out there. I should get an amen on that. So um, here's, another, here's another thing. People sometimes say this about the, the particulars of the sin we don't even want to call it sin. We'll call it a weakness. So this morning, for example, I was contrasting, um, you know, uh, alcoholism and ob- obesity. Did anybody remember that point, right? Okay, so, um, so we, we call eating too much, it's just a weakness. You know, I just got a problem with chocolate. You know what I mean? But, but, but sometimes people talk about, Chocolate like a beautiful woman, you know, that they're lusting after, you know, or they, you know, we talk about food, you know, um, I used to make fun of certain people on staff, I won't mention his name, Deej, but he's not here, (laughs) but when he talks about food, he salivates in his mouth, and I start to salivate because I have a similar weakness or propensity towards, you know, food, you know, and, and so, but we'll just call that a weakness, when in actuality, that can be a bondage in our life, and we minimize it. And we pretend and we, we just kind of hide it and keep it away. Look at Romans chapter 6. I don't know if this is in your notes, but you can put this. Romans 6.16. Romans 6.16. It's said, you guys still enjoying this? Okay. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves, this is representing bondage here, slaves, to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. So whatever you... Whatever you fear, you follow. Whatever you, whatever you kind of obey, you you find you find yourself serving or a or a slave to. We're going to be obedient to Christ, or we're going to be to our appetites, as an example. So he's talking to believers here, and he's saying you can serve sin or obedience on this. But obedience, I was not going to do this, but I'm just going to do a little quick parenthetical. Obedience, oftentimes, just as a side, requires a certain a certain level of suffering, temporary suffering. Um, I used to teach chapel to the kids at Metro West Christian Academy. That's, that's why um, I'm kind of a crazy communicator because I had to work very hard to capture the attention of very, very young kids to very, very old kids. In fact, the teachers would come in the room and they would leave the whole school with just me 
and there would be a four-year-old sometimes, at one time, all the way to a 13-year-old in the same room. So I might have 100 kids at some point and all these different ages, right? And because the, parent, the, the, uh, the teachers just wanted a break. They wanted to get out and just have a little break. And they didn't have a lot of breaks because it was a Christian school. So they're thinking, hey, this is a great time to get a break. So they just leave me upstairs for like 40 minutes with all these kids. And I was in this room, just so you know, in prison, uh, scared to death. It was scary. But it, it forced me to be able to manage and, and keep people's attention and stuff. And I can remember talking to him about sin and how sin, the parallel between sin and Listerine. You're saying, what are you, what are you talking about? These are the kind of crazy analogies I would come up to. I said, I was talking about temptation, actually, and how you overcome temptation. That temptation is not a sin. Giving into temptation is. But how do we overcome temptation? I feel that temptation. I just want to do it. I said, you just got to have to hang on just a little bit. I said, sin is like the germs in your mouth. I said, you got to put, you got to put God's word in there, and you got to swish it all around. And I'd and I'd suck down some Listerine in front of all the kids, and I'm, like, and I'm doing it on the microphone so they could all hear it, and I'm gargling, you know, like that, and they're listening to all that. And then i just stand in front of them, and I would just hold it in my mouth, and I'm trying to talk to them, just saying, you know, and so these germs are getting killed right now. Temptation's being destroyed by the word of God, and it's just switching, and it's killing all that. And eventually, you, kinda have, you go through this burn, and then I stood up there, and I'm like, beat red. It's burning, and then as soon as that burn goes away, oh, then I just I spit, the, spit the Listerine out, and I said, temptation over. I'm overcome. I've overcome. That's a poor, maybe poor excuse for illustration, but that's kind of what 1 Peter 4 is talking about. If you look at it in verse 1 and following, but it's talking about have this, you know, that we have to um, kind of, you know, Jesus, having done away with sin, suffered in the flesh, it says. So how do you do away with sin? There is a temporary amount of suffering to be able to do away with sin, to be able to overcome it. So obedience to Christ doesn't mean just say yes and then it's just going to be a piece of cake. Here you go, no problem. Sometimes you're going to have to swish some Listerine in and around in your mouth for a little while until all the temptation is gone. Does that make sense? But the more that you do that, the less affected, the less germs you have to kill and the less painful it is for you. Before you know it, you can just do it all the time. It's no big deal. I watch, uh, you know, have you ever tried to suck a lemon before? It's tough, isn't it? But you ever seen a kid suck a lemon? They got no problem with it. I watched Lucas, you know, to Jesus, he just sucks lemons like it's nothing. Just sucking them down, you know what I mean? Because he's maintained, in a sense, I don't know if you see the maintained like a pure, you know, innocence. He hasn't been tainted by all the other appetites of the world. And so we get it, we're like, oh, that's awful. But they just have that pure, base, safe palate. It's just easy for them. I don't know if that's true, but it makes sense. Go with it. Just go with it, okay? All right. All right, so uh, here's another text, a really tough one. Jeremiah 7, verses 8 through 11. Uh, Jeremiah 7, 8 through 11. This is something you should look up on your own and dig into this. There's a lot in this particular verse, but it kind of has old... My, my daddy taught me this. I learned this in seminary. In the Old Testament, certain things are concealed and contained that are revealed and explained in the New Testament. So there's some things that are packed in here that are powerful. But in verse 8, it says, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal? Will you murder? Now, this is talking about literal stealing and murder. In the New Testament, we know that if you hate your brother, that's murder, right? If, and then it says, Will you commit adultery? Now, we know in the New Testament, he's talking about literal adultery here in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, if you even look upon a woman, you've already done that, if you thought that in your heart. Swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know. And then come, look at what he says. You do all that, and then come and stand before me, God, in this house which is called by my name. In other words, at church. And say, we are delivered 
to all these abominations has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. What he's saying here is you're pretending and acting like you're free, and then you come to church, and, act, and you've been doing all these abominable things. You're living in bondage, and then you come to church and act like you're free, and then you know, shout and sing kumbaya and all that kind of stuff. He goes, by the way, I'm noticing all that. I'm noticing all that. I'm seeing all that. And there are actually some many, there are actually many symbols in the scripture, but there are some symbolism here because what he's kind of saying is, he's saying, hey, church, has the house of God become a den of thieves? In other words, you've allowed thieves to come into my house. Now he's talking about the church, but you can apply this, this to us as the temple as well. He's talking about the temple of God, but you can apply this to your own temple or even the church itself. All right, and, and has become a den of thieves, uh, ruled by satanic influences. In Matthew 21, 13, you know where Jesus went into um, the house of God, and he turned over, what, the money changers, and he says, have you guys made this, you know, a den of robbers, a den of thieves? Now, no, that's how he felt in a physical or natural sense, but it's also symbolic about how he feels about us in the maintenance and, 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 and in the freedom in our own lives as individuals. God, God doesn't want us, we're the temple, and Jesus wants to get the thieves and robbers out of our life too. Are you guys getting something out of this? Does this make sense to you out there? So, so he, he's, he's that, just like in Jeremiah, he's that way in, 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 in today's world. He wants every thief, every robber that's come into your life that's kind of trying to get possession, or oppression, whatever. I, when I say possession, I don't mean ownership. I just mean he's trying to, trying to control you or master you. He gets upset about that because you're one of his kids and he loves you. He doesn't want to see you in bondage. He wants, he wants to run those thieves out of your life. He's not, in fact, sometimes, this is a little sidebar, but when my wife and I are ministering deliverance, which we learned from my parents for many, many years, sometimes we'll talk to people and we, we'll be praying for them and we'll say, now listen, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to those, those evil spirits that are attacking you. And so sometimes we'll be, I'll tap right on their body like that. I say, you, you listen to me, you foul spirit. You get out of her in the name of Jesus. The way that you've tried to control and influence her all these years, I rebuke you in Jesus' name, the power of the name of Jesus. And sometimes God will give me a particular spirit or a root or whatever that's going on there. I'm not talking to that person. Uh, that person's just been unknowingly sometimes, sometimes knowingly, uh, and that's why we have to confess and renounce those things under the influence of the enemy. Is anybody getting freaked out right now? Okay, so Jesus wants to get those thieves and robbers out, and the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be agents that help people get free and get those thieves and robbers out of your life. So we're not looking down on them. No, this is, these are the children of God. These are children of God. I'll, I'll talk about that more in a little bit. So uh, Jeremiah is saying, you're still walking in the sin, and you have this continued iniquity, and then you come to church and say, we're free, we're free, we're safe, we're safe. But you aren't free. But you aren't free is what he's saying. And so Paul said things like this in the New Testament. He says, make no provision for the flesh. Do you remember that scripture? He says, in other words, another place he says in Galatians, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature in Galatians chapter 5. Does anybody remember that one? Uh, so, so, so though we're free, we're not supposed to be behaving like this. That's slavery. That's slave-like behavior. You're acting like a slave. Do you know who you are? You're an heir of salvation. You know you're a child of God. You know you're a king's kid. Why, why are you acting like that? He says, don't make provision for the flesh. Don't keep acting like that old person. Don't, you're, you're, you, you continue to live that way. You're going you're gonna to gratify the sinful desires of the flesh. I want you to live by the Spirit, and you won't do that. 
It says in 5.18 of Galatians. So don't make plans to sin. Don't commit ongoing repetitive sin in your life because it's obedience to sin makes you a slave to sin. And that's dangerous thinking. And the truth is if you play with fire, you eventually get burned, right? And one of the ways to not get burned is to get it out in the open. Is to get it out in the open. Continuous iniquity is oftentimes thwarted by just um, openness and transparency to the right people who love you but love you enough not to leave you that way and are capable of helping you actually walking you through steps of freedom. That's why we have life groups in here, living in freedom every day. Marlene uh, has led that group. Who else? Chuck's been in that group. Other people have been in that group. Uh, Giogo, is he here? No, he's not. Anyway. Um, so those are, those are places where we talk about this quite a bit. Um, there's a group my dad, I think Charlie Erickson are doing that, deals with some of this stuff as well, where people believe and uh, they know that they can get free and they help you do that. But if we ignore it, deny it, marginalize it, and say it's just a weakness or a temporary indulgence, then we're going to have problems, right? I actually know a guy, this may freak you out too, but hey, here we go. I know a guy who actually died... Um, in the act of adultery. Um, he was very young, and I say that reverently because I, that's, I don't wish that upon anyway, but what I'm saying is the Bible says the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I'm saying there was an open door there, and Satan got in that open door, stole his life, stole him from his family, and, and that's extreme, but sometimes it takes an extreme example to get our attention. Today, on a less extreme note, I was talking to one of our leaders in kids' church, and he told me that his son broke his leg for the second time in four months. This is what my brain does, and I want yours to do right away. What's the door there? Two times in four months? Is that a spirit, this is what I would think, a spirit of calamity, as an example? Um, and so it, it may be an open door for the enemy to get in there and cause harm, Sometimes it's based on what we say. In fact, one time I told him how years ago I was going to play uh, football. We called it the Turkey Bowl here at Connect. We played the day after Thanksgiving as a, as a bunch of guys in the church. Prior to that game, I was getting kind of nervous about playing because I hadn't played in a long, long time. And I'd play with all the young guys or whatever. And, and I was a little, just a little bit nervous. You know, I'd play with guys like Devin's age and all running around like chickens with their head cut off. And, you know, spring, you know, <laughs> you know, just running a million miles an hour. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. So at the gym, I actually started communicating, you know, oh, hey, what are you doing Thanksgiving? You want to come out and play some football? And we start talking about football. And before you know it, um, uh, I'm saying things like this, you know, you know, I'm kind of getting old. Hope I don't pull a hamstring. Kind of getting old. Hope I don't pull, probably pull a hamstring. This is me. I'm being honest with you. This is the kind of things that I said. Do you know that I showed up at that turkey bowl, and within five minutes, the first play of the game, I ran out to catch a ball. I stepped, my back heel stepped into a little, like, mogul in the grass, pulled my hamstring. I was out for three, four months from physical activity. I couldn't walk off the field. They had to carry me off the field. Some, somebody might have even been here when that happened. I had to wrap it all up, black and blue, all the way up and down my leg. As soon as I got in the car... I screamed out, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I remember what I said. I brought this on myself. I brought this on myself. It was an open door. And, and I've actually done that twice. You'd think I'd learn. You'd think I'd learn. Is anybody understanding what I'm talking about? You need to think about those kind of things. I have a good friend of mine in college who was totally what, we, what people said. His father spoke this over him, and he assumed the same curse that was spoken over me. He said uh, he's accident prone. And he would go around telling everybody he's accident prone. Anybody ever heard that term before? Maybe even said that? Maybe said it about yourself? This is, this is maybe, I'm just submitting to you, maybe just another way of saying there's an open door to the enemy. 
or you're giving an open door to the enemy based on the first thing that happened in our life to the demonic where we're given a permission for him to attack us over and over and over again. And it even causes sometimes us to hurt ourselves. Uh, he had told me this. He told me, he had, I remember him telling me this. I had broken dozens and dozens of bones in my life, been in cast more times than I can remember. On three occasions when he visited me from out of state, flew on a plane to visit me, on the vacation to visit me, he sprained his ankle. On two of those three occasions, for the entire time we were together, I had to carry him around everywhere. I'm not kidding you. I'd carry him to the beach, carry him off the beach. Uh, it was nonstop. At my wedding, the day of my wedding, he was one of the best men in my wedding, he broke his collarbone, couldn't play the special song that he was supposed to play in my wedding. If that's not an open door, I don't know what is. Now, I'm going to be transparent with you. Some of you don't know who he is. Some of you might. But he, he basically had a sexual addiction. So that particular open door opened him up to physical attack and problems. Is anybody connecting the dots on what I'm trying to say? So you can't say, this is not affecting me. This has nothing to do with it. I had a um, a young man when I was um, in the Christian school. Uh, I worked with his mom for many, many years, and her son was totally got fell away from the faith, got in total rebellion, got all messed up. When we started to dig it out and figure out what was going on, I started sitting down with him, and I was in his car with him, and I started pulling CDs from, from his door. I'm like, what's this? It was like pictures of the devil, you know, and crazy pictures and images. I, I don't even, pentagrams and all kinds of crazy stuff and goats and all blood sacrifices and stuff. And I'm looking at the music and, and then um, I'm saying, pop this, pop, this in the, pop this in the CD, I want to play. He's looking at me like, what, you want to listen to this? I said, I don't want to listen to it, but I want to, I want to hear, pops it in. This was the most demonic sounding stuff you've ever heard. And he basically, he basically fought me. He says, it doesn't affect me at all. It doesn't affect me at all. Do you know within six months he wanted to kill himself? He was suicidal. He was all messed up because it was an open door. It was an open door. So that, those are graphic examples, but sometimes they can be really small things like the things we say or the, or, the, or the things that we watch or the things that we let ourselves entertain with because Ephesians 4.27 says, Keep your foot from evil because a foothold can become a stronghold. Proverbs 4.27 talks about making level paths for your feet. Don't swerve to the right or to the left. So that's the first point. I'm going to be much faster on the next two, so don't worry, don't fret. Okay? He's like, wow, that was a big one. So continued iniquity. The next one is continued illness. Continued illness. This is a sign that there could be, not always, a sign of demonic bondage. Continued illness. Luke chapter 13, verse 11. It says this. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Everybody see that? A spirit of infirmity. So we can't call, Jesus didn't call it just a sickness. He called it a spirit of infirmity. She had it for a long time, so it was a continued what? Illness or continued sickness. Make sense so far? There it is right there. Clear indicator of a bondage. And was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, which I think is very interesting. We can call to him, but he called her to himself. Why? Because she was one of his. He, he was, she was a child of God. That's why. Made it, it, was, it was different. And he said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. And so, by the way, if he lays his hands on her, we can lay our hands on the sick and they shall recover as well. And the Bible says immediately, everybody says immediately, she was made straight and glorified God. By the way, once we're willing to admit we uh, need freedom and are in bondage, it's really easy to get free. Getting free is not the hard part. Admitting we need to be free is the hard part. Admitting to someone else I need freedom is by far way harder 
than getting free, no matter what the devil tells you, it's a piece of cake. Because there's power in the name of Jesus over any of these spiritual forces. They run, they shudder, they, they freak out at the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. In fact, we torment demons when we even say the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus. They're tormented by that. So they cringe at the name of Jesus. Somebody needed to hear that, and some devils needed to hear that. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, in other words, the pastor here, he gets mad, answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. How dare you? I can imagine. You know, this is what Pharisees do. They quote parts of the Bible, and, and then they add to it later on, and they get all uptight. And so he says to the crowd... This is what he does. There are six days on which men ought to work. He's, he's actually talking about the fourth commandment here. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Here's, imagine what he's saying. He's saying, you, can't, you, you know what? You, you want to get healed? You, wanna, you need to come another day. Is that not religious or what? That's ridiculous. So he's saying, come another day to be healed, not today. Then the Lord answered him and said, hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to the water? In other words, if it was getting ready to drown, wouldn't you do something about it? So ought not this woman, being a what? Daughter of Abraham. She's one of, this is God's attitude towards people, believers who are in bondage. I want you to see that. He's not wanting to condemn you. He's not wanting to make you feel like crap. Pardon my crassness. He sees you as one of his own. Being a daughter of Abraham, he called her to him. He's like, maybe she feels ashamed. Maybe she wouldn't come to him, whatever. He said, come here, come here, come here. That's what he said in the beginning. Whom, is she not being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound? Think of it. For 18 years, uh, he says, be loosed from this bond. And it was on the Sabbath, and he didn't care. He says, this is my daughter. We're spiritual daughters and sons of God. Sons of Abraham. Jesus told this guy the same thing in John 8. True children of Abraham, you're a daughter, you're a son. And so Jesus is saying this woman ought to be able to get set free because of being that part of his family. Look at uh, these texts. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. I'll just go there and try to help you. If you've got a Bible, Galatians 3, 7. By the way, sometimes we don't know how to overcome things because we haven't been equipped or taught. So like sometimes I just like to take more time to teach you things and stuff because we just don't know what we don't know. And we're just getting beaten up a lot of times by the devil because we don't know. Does that make sense? Does that, you guys agree with that? So sometimes it'll go a little longer on the teaching because your attention span is going to be stretched a little bit. But some of you, I know some of you out there love this stuff, so I'm just assuming the appetite's there. Galatians 3.7 says this, uh, Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. So what makes us a child of Abraham is not necessarily heredity, but belief. So anybody that's a follower of God, that believes in God, is one of his sons and daughters, is what he's saying here. Galatians 3.7. Galatians 3.29, You are all sons of God through what? Faith in Christ Jesus. So faith is what makes us sons or daughters of God. So this, this, is, this is how he qualifies that. Um, and anyway, um, what else do I want to say here? One thing that I like about this particular text is this, this, it, this woman had a spirit of infirmity. And you've got to note that. And, and I'm not saying that every, when, when, when we see sickness, that does not mean every time we see someone sick, it's a demon. You know, in other words, when you see somebody sneeze, achoo, come out of him, you spirit. You know, that's not what I'm saying there, okay? So, 
every cold, every sniffle, every, that doesn't mean it's necessarily. It could be something. And so it's going to require, if it's continuous, there's a good chance then that, is, um, that there's a spiritual thing there. Maybe it's a spirit of infirmity. Does that make sense? That help you guys separate that. So you don't sneeze and then just say, come out, you foul spirit, every single time you sneeze. Okay? So if you're going through something, it makes sense that maybe there's an open door. Um, check out this scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Um, this is a tough scripture. Um, most people know about the blessings of God reading in Deuteronomy, but this talks about the other side of it. And he's saying, basically, if you don't walk with me, then you'll be op- you're opening the door to sickness. So this is Deuteronomy 28, 58. I'm, I'm going to read through verse 61. Um, it says, if you, do not, if, you, if you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and do not revere this glory, glorious, his glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring upon you all the disease of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed. Hmm, praise the Lord, Pastor. So, basically, if you read this whole thing, basically saying he's going to bring back, it will come back on you what was off you at one time. That's what it's talking about. All right, um, strong scripture, but let me give you a New Testament one so it's not, it's a little bit more sensible. Acts chapter 19, uh, Acts 19, verse 11. I can't believe he just read that scripture in this church, the last one. Um, this is verse 11 and 12. It said, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs, and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick. Now look at this. And their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Okay? So you see the context there. Uh, verse, chapter 19, verse 11. No, I already did that one. Uh, 1038 is what I was going to do. Thank you. 1038 was the one I was meaning to go to first. Bless you. Come out, you foul spirit. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> Uh, if it happens again, you know what's up. Uh, <laughs> 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of what? The devil, or the oppressed of the devil, because God was with him. So that's how they got healed, is they dealt with it at a spiritual level. Sometimes we've opened a door and we don't even know how we did it. Uh, it could be like... Uh, Bizarre accidents. I've heard all kinds of stories. I could tell you stories all day. Uh, weird skin things I've heard about. Odd sicknesses with no answers. Seizures. Oh, that's a big one. Um, this one is one that plagues me and bothers me a lot. I have a certain indignation about it. I get frustrated about it because, do you know, fundamentally, seizures, the doctors have no answers for seizures. Did you know that? Isn't that interesting? I mean, if you really dig into it just a little bit, they'll, they'll talk a bunch of stuff, but they have no idea how to solve it. I, we have somebody in this church right now who has uh, been battling seizures for a while. And i got to think about how I want to say this because it's just coming to me. But I've been talking to this couple quite a bit and um, baby Christians. So what I'm telling you tonight, you are ten times more prepared for than they are. But I'm telling them more than I'm telling you behind the scenes because it's desperate, desperate situations. Uh, this particular individual who God loves and cares about uh, um, and, and her family uh, came to church. I was friends with this particular guy at the gym, and, 
And shortly after that, he started coming to Connect, and then he got saved. And then his family, uh, in particular his wife, didn't want to come to Connect. She wasn't into it. There was something going on there. I don't know what it was. And uh, shortly after that, she started having seizures, really bad seizures. Uh, very young girl, and uh, they were so bad that if, if they didn't put her in a medicinal coma, her brain would fry and she could die. So she went into a, uh, they put her into a um, medicinal coma, and she was in it for six months. Anyway, she's still battling, but when she, she came out of it and was doing good for a little while, uh, when she woke up, she felt a draw to, uh, to God, in particular to this church, started coming with her husband. She got saved. Just a few weeks ago, she was going to get baptized. The day before she got baptized, she had really bad seizures and was put back in the hospital and has been in there ever since. Do you think maybe there's a connection? I do. I do. So, meantime, the doctor's trying all these different things, um, and uh, I could just, literally, I could just keep you, keep you uh, t- just all night talking about this particular situation. But I believe there's an open door and there's a spiritual problem. And um, very recently, it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes you won't get it right away. But that's why, remember I talked about praying until the bowl tips over? Anybody? If you don't, raise your hand if you don't talk. Okay, so this, sometimes you pray until you get discerning of spirits. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it talks about spiritual gifts. One of the spiritual gifts are, there are categories of spiritual gifts, particularly the power ones. Um, there are think like God, act like God, speak like God. There are three different categories. In, you know, the think like God, there's the, the, in, there's, there's, uh, the gift of wisdom, the word of knowledge. Um, and um, what am I missing there? Discerning of spirits. That's, what I, that's why I was going there. Yeah, discerning of spirits. And so the, sometimes there are situations where you need to know what is that root issue. First of all, there's an open door that somehow people open to. And sometimes a believer can't see it, so we sometimes need other people to help us. But I a lot of times try to figure it out for myself, you know, as much as I can, because God's given each one of us, you know, gifts, and we can pray for those. And so, but because we're flesh and human and and um, there are all kinds, sometimes there's subjectivity, and sometimes there's fear, and sometimes there's certain circumstances, sometimes we're under pressure, sometimes we're concerned about what other people are going to think, and doctors are going to think, and all this kind of stuff. It, it requires some isolation and, and separation to just kind of get the mind of God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It takes a little while. So um, all that being said, that um, I feel like, like, you can pray for me. I feel like I know what it is now. Now, I feel like I know what that spirit is that's plaguing this particular precious woman of God. I actually think it's going to be a major story. Um, we're actually planning on sharing their story during the Christmas holidays. But it's in process. And we thought we were there. But then the devil came and attacked again. But I think there's more to it. And so you can just pray. That, that this girl gets set free and, and her husband is, is uh, living like a soldier and he's getting busy and he's commanding the devil to get away from her and he's speaking life into her ear uh, every single night. It's so awesome. Oh, it makes me pumped. Wish you could know what that's, what that's like. We take it so for granted, you know. We just sometimes let the enemy pounce on us, and then we get our back against the wall and get in a serious situation, or somebody else does, and it wakes you up. And that's how I feel. I feel alive because um, my friend is being attacked, and it's just quickened in me, my faith. You know, they need a miracle. They need a miracle. Amen? Is there an open door in my life, I think, is sometimes what we should be asking in this area. And, and, um, and sometimes there is. 
And it, usually it's because we've believed a lie. You can write this down. Every bondage is built on a lie. Every bondage is built on a lie. Many people say things like, you know, about sickness. It's, they believe, I want, uh, there's so many phrases, but they just believe that's just normal for them. Well, I've always struggled with that. It's just normal for me. I've always had these aches and pains in my back. I've always had, I've always had you know, bad sinuses. I've always had da-da-da-da-da, fill in the blank, okay? And, and I'm just telling you, that's, those, are, those are ways that we've given the enemy an open door into our life, and they're, they're built on lies. So to, de to debunk, to, to overcome the lie, uh, excuse me, the bondage, we have, to, we, have to, uh, we have to see and find the lie. What is the thing, so when you're praying about in your life an area where you're struggling, what is the lie that I, that I buy? What is it? What is it? I'll just always be this way, you know? Here's my third point. Can you hang on a little bit longer? Okay, so we got continued iniquity, continued sickness. The last one is continued influence. Continued influence. This is a tough one for me to communicate. Uh, this is maybe the most, I don't know, fresh for me, so you're going to have to bear with me a little bit on this. Um, Mark chapter 7, verse 24, is where I'm going to go. Um, this is talking about the faith of a Syrophoenician woman. And uh, did a little research on this, so again, this, is, this may be new to you. But let me read it. Matthew 7, 24 through 30, okay? Just so you need that text. You should look up this stuff on your own. Make this a part of your devotions for a little while. Ask God to show you. Where are open doors in these particular areas of iniquity, influence, and illness? Of course, I was alliterative, which is my bondage. <laughs> it's a joke. Okay. Uh, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. It's interesting that nobody says anything about people in America being possessed or oppressed by the devil anymore. But if you're in other parts of the world, people would think that's, that's understandable and in some cases um, very normal. When I say normal, I mean people hear about it. But here we just try to cover it all up and pretend that's not real. And I just think psych wards are filled with people who have been oppressed or demonized. And I think there's all kinds of people that are struggling with all kinds of physical ailments, and they're spiritual. And so the Bible just kind of calls it like it is, in my opinion. And again, I don't think it's every single sickness and every single thing is a demon. I'm just saying sometimes it's a demon. And you can't, you cannot, um, you know, cast the flesh out. And you can, you know, you cannot, how do, how, there's this old phrase, you know, you, uh, oh, help me, Jesus, how do you say it? You can't. Rebuke the flesh, rebuke the the flesh, and cast. No, that's not what it is. I can't remember what it is. But basically, you 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 can't. Oh, I know what it is. You can't discipline the devil. You have to. You see. You have to. You have to discipline the flesh. You have to cast the devil out. You don't discipline the devil. Make sense? Thank you, Jesus. All right. So you don't discipline the devil. You cast the devil out, and you don't rebuke the flesh. You discipline the flesh. So some stuff is a demon. Some stuff is a flesh issue, and it needs, to, it needs to be trained and worked on. All right, so anyway, back to the story. Um, 
Yet he could not keep his presence known. In fact, as soon as he heard about it, a woman who had a little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, remember this stuff, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, Jesus said, this, everybody thinks this is offensive, but let me explain it in a little bit. First, let the little children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat at the children's crumbs. Eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go, demon, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Amazing, amazing. Let me see if I can unpack this quickly. The woman was a Greek, not a Jew, so she wasn't, she, was, she wasn't uh, of Jewish descent. She was, Syrophoenician was like a mixture of cultures, okay? Uh, Phoenicia, actually at the time, just take my word for it, but was considered the seat of paganism, the seat of paganism at the time, and it, and, and it, and it entered into kind of an influence Israel. In fact, um, some of you may know one of the most famous Bible, Bible characters, uh, evil Bible characters, is the woman Jezebel. Anybody heard, ever heard of Jezebel? All right, Jezebel. Uh, she, she was from Phoenicia, okay? Interestingly enough, uh, she married Ahab and brought the occult and witchcraft to the nation of Israel, which led to tons of pagan practices and all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues by that association, an evil influence from a king to basically a Jezebel, and I'm saying it's a person, but it's also a spirit. We actually sometimes minister to women and don't get offended because, again, we're not talking to women, we're talking to a spirit, but sometimes women have a Jezebelic spirit. There's a controlling, witchcraft-type, controlling, rebellious kind of attitude a lot of times uh, in women. That's Jezebelic spirit. We talk about that a lot. Sometimes it's rooted in a cult. Uh, it's fundamentally witchcraft. But more than anyone, she was incredibly bad. And so this, again, was the seat of witchcraft. Syria, however, so Phoenicia was the seat of kind of paganism. Syria was the seat or city, a prideful city, known as a city of pride. Okay? So hang on all the way on this, okay? So Syria kind of thought that they, they knew what was best. They knew, they, they knew what was going on. They had it all together. They were on top of the world. They were right. Everybody else was wrong. And so when you put these two Syro-Phoenicia together, basically these two things together, you can apply them to, to our lives, I think, in our situation. What it looks like, basically, is we think, this is how we can modernize it, we think we can dabble in the occult and it won't affect us. That was the spirit that was a result uh, of these, these relationships, these influences by Phoenicia and by Syria, was that you put those two things together, pride and paganism and witchcraft and the occult, put those two things together and you got yourself a kind of a sandwich of, 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 of a sin. And we have pride and witchcraft at work simultaneously here. Syrophoenician spirits basically are deadly. And so we sometimes do small things. We don't think about it. And really what causes us to minimize it or deny it is pride. We do sometimes occultist type things and we think they won't affect us. Like the, like the young man that I was talking about and all the music. Just listen to that music. He said, it has no effect on me. Oh, it had a major effect on him. And it was just a short time later where literally, uh, it was like the Bible talks about the cords of sin had wrapped around him and suffocated him in so many words. Like a boa constrictor, you know. It slowly suffocates us. And, and, and most of us think I would never do that. And let me just put it there, put it in terms maybe that you and I can appreciate or, or some, some um, I don't know, caution lights for us. 
sometimes we watch, I've been guilty of this, demonic movies. Uh, kids watch demonic. I'm not going to be all rules and regs here because I already talked about in non-essentials we have liberty. But these are important for you to know if you have continued illness, if you have continued iniquity, if you have problems with influences. It's important for you to know that if these three, if there's, an, if there's a problem, there's a bondage, there's probably an open door and you need to look at these things. So I'm not saying you can't watch cartoons. I'm not saying you can't watch TV or movies. I'm just saying... If there's a problem, you need to see what is it. It could be you're dabbling in the occult and you don't even realize it. Or you're allowing your kids to dabble in the occult and you don't even realize it. So it could, be, it could be music, it could be cartoons, it could be movies, it could be games. When I was a kid, I, didn't, I had to renounce and repent of being a part of a seance. I was a born-again, spirit-filled, blood-bought, blood-washed young man. And I'm in the elementary school, 11 years old. Right over here in Framingham, it used, used to be called Roosevelt Elementary School. We're out in the playground, and people taught us how to have a seance. And they're lifting me up with these fingers, and I'm floating in the air. I, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. I played Dungeons and Dragons when I was a kid uh, down the street. My parents, you know, come home. We say grace over our meal, you know, and my father, worship music beyond the house. And I was, just, I was just dabbling with the demonic. I don't know if anybody's ever done that, but those are things that are even just, I'm going to be real, you know, just cut and dry. Magic eight balls. Ouija boards. I could go on all day. Sometimes it's not as graphic as that. Again, it could be uh, fortune cards, tarot cards. Uh, I'm going to say it even this. Even Halloween that's coming up. Worshipping and celebrating ghosts and witches. The word Halloween means to worship. Hallowed means to worship. I'm saying don't celebrate it. I'm not saying that you can't, this is a long subject, so you're going to have to work with me on this, okay? I'm saying don't, I'm not saying you can't participate, but don't celebrate. I think they're two different words. I'm saying don't get dressed up as a ghost and a witch. That could open you up. But don't go down in your basement, turn the lights off, and pretend you're not there necessarily. (laughs) Greet people at the door and give them something healthy. Okay, so I think we go to crazy extremes, and then we're known as those people, and we lose all our equity and influence in our neighborhood over a minor, a non-essential that I'm not going to shed a paper cut over. But at the same time, we don't want to open ourselves to the demonic and walk around in a goblin suit, and it like a little demon, and be like, it's stupid to do that, and we teach our kids to do that, and it's a form of idolatry. So don't celebrate. Don't do that. Does that make sense? Don't read your horoscopes to know your future. Read the Bible. This is your future right here. Okay? So stop reading horoscopes and, and tell your kids not to do the same thing. That's just ridiculous. I remember my son, he was, am I getting worked up a little bit again? Uh, my son, when he was in school, he got, this is way, so I don't know what it is modern today. There's new stuff that you have to deal with as parents if you have teens and young and elementary kids and stuff like that. I, I just remember what it was like for when, I was, when my kids were kids, younger. And my son got introduced to Pokemon cards. Pokemon. Does anybody remember Pokemon? Listen, listen. My son got addicted to that. We weren't paying attention before we know it. He's got, he's watching Pokemon cartoons. He's watching, he's getting Pokemon cards. And all of a sudden we started his behavior and it was starting to get, he was starting to get crazy. Stuff, he's starting to be real rebellious. He was getting violent with his mom, literally started to hit his mom, physical with his mom. So if you see him, smack him upside the head. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he's not here tonight. It's his fault. Uh, but, but no, but there was some really, I'm just going to say it, demonic behavior. You know when we really noticed it? When we said, hey, Dev, give me that stuff. You're not going to be able to do that for a little while. We were just going to test it, see what happened, because we weren't sure. We took it away. He went crazy. Literally had like a fit 
like demonic fit. We had to we had to arrest him. When I say arrest, I mean hold him, contain him, start commanding spirits to leave him alone, start making him uh, repent of influences. We had to repent of allowing that influence into our home, and we just cut him off from that. He was in a Christian school. He was in this school, and we went in the school, and we shut it down. All kinds of kids were in the school having that. Similar behaviors within one week. It's peace, calm. The place was awesome, awesome. Before that, we were trying to figure out what was going on, what was going on. Pokemon. I don't even know all about it now, but anyway, in, in Mark chapter 7, what you need to see here, and that why I went through all that is, this woman came out of an occult background, Syrophoenician. She came out of a occult background, and her children had demons. Her child, her daughter, had demons. Are you guys tracking with what I'm saying here? You getting this? In other words, her daughter had a demon because she, the mom, allowed an open door into her house. Just let that sit there for just a second. Uh, so, so we have a responsibility to protect, steward our homes, our children, our temple, our vessel. Otherwise, uh, they can come under attack. And uh, let me just read this, Deuteronomy chapter 18. It says this. Uh, no, I won't do that. Yeah, well, Deuteronomy 18. This is strong. When you enter the land the Lord God has given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire. That's talking about occult practices. Who practice divination or sorcery, interpret omens, engage in witchcraft, or cast spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. We just cover it up, make it look all nice and fancy. And, and just no big deal. Minimize it, you know. Oh, we're just having a little seance. That, I remember them telling me that. Just, you're just going to meet in a group out and, I mean, they were all kids. Who taught them that? Their parents. Um, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. That's what you want. You want to be in a situation where you're in right standing with God so that you, the Bible says, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And we, the, we, we know that we will have the petitions that we ask of him because of that. So we want to make sure we're in right standing with God. So I don't think it's on his end. I always think and believe it's on our end. And there's usually an open door. Could be iniquity. Could be uh, some kind of continuous illness. Could be an issue of influence. So back to this woman. Basically, um, I think, you know, we, what, what, how did she get free? This woman comes to Jesus and asks for deliverance. And he says, let the children be filled first. He's referring to the Jews first ahead of her. And it sounds cruel or rude, but take my word for it. The dog in this story represents something other than the dog that you're thinking of. Okay? When you look at Scripture in many different places, I can give you some Scriptures if you're interested. Romans 22, 14 through 15. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. There's even one in Revelation. But it basically is talking about dogs are referring to unbelievers. Um, dogs in Romans 22 it says dogs and sorcerers etc were outside the gates of heaven now there are either literally dogs outside the gate of heaven or they represent people there's little chihuahuas and you know you know chicos and whatever kind of dogs hunters like my dog they're either outside the heaven or he's talking about people who are outside of heaven okay so Philippians 3.2 says dogs you know talks about dogs there as well uh, you know and and he, and it talks about beware of dogs. Either the Apostle Paul just got bit by a dog, 
or he's talking about people. All right, you guys, there's way, way more that I can say in here. So Jesus is saying to this woman, it's not, this is not for lost people. It's for the children who believe. So it's clear that believers can be in bondage, and it's clear that God wants us to be free from the context of these scriptures. Children can be in bondage, and he's saying you have to believe in the Messiah first to actually be delivered at all. Deliverance is not for lost people, it's for children of God. So the question is, how do you get free? And this is where we'll wind up today. And the team can come to the, to the front and, and get up there if you wouldn't mind. But how do you get free? How do you do it? Um, you got to do what this Syrophoenician woman did. You humble yourself. She said this later on in the chapter. She said, even dogs eat from the master's table. Look at the humility in this woman. Um, she was persistent. She wasn't willing just to surrender. She wasn't going to allow offense to get in there. I, I think she probably understood his, uh, his rendering there. But Jesus said, basically, because of that, because of humility, you will be and can uh, be free. Verse 28, I think, and 29 of Mark chapter 7, I believe, talks about that. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. That help anybody? Whew, that was a lot of material. Um, this is what I'm going to do. We're going to worship a little bit, and I'm just going to see where, where it goes. And, um, but as we're, we're worshiping, I would encourage you, literally, just come right down around front here like, and just pursue God a little bit. I want you to think about while we're worshiping and you're praising and worshiping God, um, and I'm going to pray in just a second. I want you to just think about what are open doors in your life and maybe in the life of those that you love. Life of those that you love. Is there some, is there some window? May not be like a wide open door. Maybe it's a crack in the window. And what doors need to be shut, closed? What enemies need to be arrested and kind of uh, kicked out of your life and out of your temple? And here's what you can do. While, I'm going to teach you kind of how to minister deliverance to yourself just a little bit. But... Like 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, take captive every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. So when you see things that are above God, you need to take it captive. And you need to, uh, it's, like t- it's like tearing it down. In the Old Testament, there were, these, there were these idols that people would worship. And they would actually put them up. They would create um, um, altars. They would, they would have, uh, you know, altars to Baal, altars to... Um, you know, Astra, they would call them Astrath poles or whatever. And they were just these high precipices. And so whenever, whenever uh, the nation of Israel would turn back to God, they would always tear down all of those, those altars and all of those Astra poles and all of those places where people were worshiping Baal and places where they're worshiping the enemy. So what I want, you to, I want you to do is I want you to find those different idolatries, those different thieves or robbers that have got in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what those things are. And I believe he'll show you what those things are. And then I want you to basically tear them down. So how do you tear them down? You repent of them because they're, they go against God's word and God's will and plan for your life. Knowing that he loves you and he's not trying to condemn you. He's just trying to set you free. And then you renounce them. You renounce them. Do it in the name of Jesus. So you repent of them. I'm sorry, God. Any of these things that are against your will and against your plan, I repent of that. And I renounce in Jesus' name the effects of the occult on my life, the different ways that I've dabbled in pride or maybe like the Syrophoenician woman, there's been pride and maybe there's been a dabbling with the occult or something like that. Maybe it's just certain things that I've said. I've bought a lie. 
There's a lot that I've said tonight here that I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you because I can't, you know, minister every single one of you, every single person individually here in this room, but I do believe the Holy Spirit can. Amen? So I want you to, I want you to do this. I want you to stand your feet, and I want you to get in an atmosphere of submission and an atmosphere of surrender to the Holy Spirit and just, and just uh, pr begin to present your body, the Bible says, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable.